In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and Tasmanian devil himself, Mike Graham. (laughs) And then he says, uh... (laughs) You don't have a Tasmanian devil impression just ready to go at all times? I don't remember what he sounds like. I swear to God, okay, I'm better at this stuff than I sound like, but what happens is you throw these at me and they're off the wall, and that's from when I was like 10 years old, so there's just no way I can pull that out of the left field. That's all right. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, maybe we'll give you a chance later in the show to do it again. I saw his face, though. Like, he's got the big cheeks and like... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll give you credit for that. That's fine. So, okay. So, Mike, hello. <laughs> Hi. So I, I, as, as the listeners won't know this yet, but you know that I referenced the Tasmanian devil because today we're talking about someone who was born and raised in uh, Tasmania, which is a real place. That's right. Uh, Hannah Gadsby, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's funny because Tasmania, I think I was probably 25 before I found out that was a real place. <laughs> it sure is. Not only is it a real place, but according to <laughs> Hannah Gadsby's uh, account, it was a pretty tough place for her to uh, be born and raised in. And yeah. so we're going to get into our analysis of her her special, Nanette, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but I think up front here, we want to acknowledge that we know that we are two straight, white, cisgendered men. And as a result, our viewpoint, as evidenced by last week's episode on Tully, is not always going to be the most... Uh, sought after or even uh, uh, relevant right. uh, perspective on the different types of pop culture that we cover. Or even narrow. Yeah, it's well, right. So we, we have a pretty narrow, specific perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, we just thought it was really important to talk about that because, you know, Ryan sent this to me weeks and weeks ago. And it was just, well, he's he, Ryan's really aware that my wife and I met in one of our like foundations or one of the things we bond over stand up and he sent this to me and my wife and I watched it together. I mean, it just blew us away. We just wanted to talk about it. It was like, how do we, how do you know, we just want to talk about this. So. Yeah. So, and, and we do want to acknowledge that and, and please look out for, we're hoping um, to have a, a, an extra maybe deleted scene this week in which we do get a chance to have some other perspectives shared about Nanette. So please look out for that. Otherwise, you know, we're going to continue with our perspective because it's still relevant, not just to us, but yeah. me being me being a therapist and you being uh, an advocate for mental health, which is also something that's covered sure. in this special. So with that, let's get to oh, wait, it. Wait, 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 oh, Ryan. No. What? Before with that, I have to know because it's been so many years. So what does the Tasmanian devil sound like? Uh, <laughs> that's right. I Okay. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more spitty. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. I didn't. 
actually, oh, I think part of my problem is, is comedy has suspended me in a perpetual state of adolescence. The way I've been telling that story is through jokes. And stories, unlike jokes, need three parts, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Jokes are two parts, a beginning and a middle. And what I had done with that comedy show about coming out was I froze an incredibly formative experience at its trauma point and I sealed it off into jokes. And that story became a routine and through repetition, that joke version fused with my actual memory of what happened. But unfortunately, that joke version was not nearly sophisticated enough to help me undo the damage done to me in reality. Punchlines need trauma because punchlines need tension and tension feeds trauma. In the 2018 Netflix comedy special, Nanette, comedian Hannah Gadsby starts out her set with fairly standard jokes about coming out as a lesbian and what it was like for her growing up in Tasmania. She shares important lessons we can learn from art history and whether or not creativity means you must suffer. Over the course of her special, however, she begins to acknowledge that these self-deprecating jokes are insufficient in letting her tell and fully take care of her story. She shares the stark reality of what it was like for her in coming out and how she was treated and ultimately abused several times over the course of her life just for being herself. She challenges the audience to sit with their own tension and to not let anger or laughter cover it up. As a result, Hannah admits she needs to quit comedy as it doesn't allow her to fully embrace and deal with her trauma. So yeah, that's Nanette. And as, as Hannah Gadsby acknowledges, the title doesn't have anything to do with all of that stuff. Yeah, it's still, I was like, that's a really eloquent and beautiful title, though. I still, like, really love the title. Just as, like, a, a name in general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was cool. It's, it's funny because I was thinking if, if she hadn't titled it that, like, how do you possibly summarize the, the depths that this special goes into in, like, a, a handy-dandy Netflix title? Like, I don't think you can. So, Oh, no. It, it's actually kind of perfect, uh, yeah. the title, Nanette, just because... It's uh, it's very artistic. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, it's like an album title or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is more than just a stand up. A lot more. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, to be honest with you, as far as stand ups concerned. Yeah, I, I felt the same way when I first saw it. And this is last summer that it was making waves. And I, I, there probably was some controversy in some circles. Well, I know there was some controversy in some circles about is this stand up? Is this just like a one woman show and like what people were calling it was this big deal. And I, for me, that's just like getting into the weeds. Like it doesn't matter what you call it, it, the, the story. And we're going to talk about the importance and power of story was so uh, powerful that it doesn't matter what it's called. It just, it was impactful. So I don't think it matters at all because she used something that she's done for a long time to, make it something bigger. And I'm actually a big fan of uh, diversion in like creativity like that. In form. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even like there's other comedians and this is, this is not comparing at all, 
But just as far as comedians that like get more serious, and mm -hmm. like I said, this is not a comparing thing, but like Mike Birbiglia does like more of a serious act, and I've always liked the more serious stuff. But this was like, I mean, yeah, very powerful, very real. And, but there is a lot of real stuff there to talk about. Well, it's, it's funny that you brought up Mike Birgia, actually, because, and, and this is going to feel like a, a diversion, but it's not because he also bases his uh, stand-up around stories, around, you know, what the what what has happened to him, and whether it be traumatic things or, or funny things or serious things, and sort of what people can take away, not just what was funny about those things, but also the, the sort of larger lessons in the shared stories that we all have. I'm a huge fan, but I, again, I don't want to. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so because because the importance here and in in Nanette is the the power of story, and yeah. Hannah Gadsby talks about you know both growing up and how she was the tension, and I think we're going to talk about that a, a lot and the sort of importance of and, and relevance of tension and tension um, relief. But, you know, growing up, identifying herself as a lesbian, coming out as a lesbian, you know, which for her in Tasmania when she was growing up was actually illegal. Yeah. Until like 1997. Yeah. So it's just said, wild. And, which is like blows my mind. Yeah. And she says, and, and you know, she makes a like almost a deprecating joke, uh, you know, uh, a little too late. And it's like, yeah, it is way too late. Yeah. But yeah. So she's left with this childhood of, of shame and of trauma and essentially her, the person being illegal in a lot of ways and, you know, growing up with that. And now, yeah. now she's a professional, but still dealing with the ramifications of that. And from what I saw, I thought it, it was like multifaceted, like there was multiple layers to it. I, I may be totally wrong, but it was like, not only she on the outskirts from like you know general society but she seemed to feel not on in the in crowd in her own community absolutely like she says she's uh, at one point she says like where do the quiet gays go mm -hmm. because you know she feels like everyone is like showing their pride with parties at mardi gras and dancing and this flag that's like really intense and too many colors for her and she needs a nap <laughs> it, and it just felt like she never she didn't feel like she fit in really anywhere to the point where she even got emails about she should come out as transgender and she's like, I'm not transgender. I don't know. I don't know. I guess just one of the big things that I was really wondering about Hannah was if she was someone in your office, uh, the first thing that she really does start talking about is the self-deprecation. Obviously, just being down on yourself, that's not a mental illness. But do you get people in your office that come in and their main issue is that they have a problem with themselves and that's what they need to work through. Like in terms of their identity. Yeah. 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 yeah like, yeah. I guess like they hate themselves or, or. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, and that's a lot of times that's the way like depression, for example, presents itself is just the person feels like they have really low self-esteem or they are a very harsh critic of themselves. And these are this only sort of, depressive symptoms they can really identify with this sort of whether we call it self-hatred or um, sometimes it can present as like low motivation to connect socially but it's all because of these things of seeing themselves in a way that doesn't kind of allow them to connect with people Hannah Gadsby talks about some of these things like because of the way as you pointed out she saw herself you know she didn't even feel like she could connect with her her own um 
you know, circle, you know, whether that wasn't like not enough lesbian content, as she talks about when she tries to, to really connect, you know, with the lesbian audience, for example. Right. From the self-appointed person. Yep. Even, even they had problems with, you know, sort of how she talked about it or how much she talked about it. So there's, there was a lot of times there's, there's no winning here. So to answer your question, yeah, a lot of times when people come into therapy, it is just this sort of discomfort with self or in, in the higher or more serious cases, like self-hatred. I don't like myself. I don't like my body or I don't like my um, appearance or I don't like feel like people like me or interested in me or I feel like I have to be somebody else to fit in. And she even said she was she had because of the way she was raised, like she was homophobic. And so she was like going against her own grain and was somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when when that is and then, as I mentioned before, she felt like she was the tension in her own family growing up. When, especially, you know, as someone in the LGBT community, Hannah experienced this tension from such a young age that when she sees herself as a problem for so long, it's hard to grow out of that. And a lot of times this is this is sort of how it ends up presenting itself as um, in therapy, for sure. So I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is. Where does that stem from? I know we were just saying that she particularly was on the outskirts but if you're seeing this in your office like where did these feelings start to stem from and and then also like how do people how do they start reacting to that like how do they start coping because i know you and i both talked about how people don't cope necessarily correctly until they learn yeah and so i was just kind of wondering how that goes for people yeah, so Hannah Gadsby kind of talks about how her self-deprecating jokes and humor is sort of like an ineffective coping skill, essentially, or an inefficient coping skill. Like, maybe it makes her feel better, but um, it doesn't really do the whole job. And the reason for that is, and um, you'll see this in some of the reactions from other people, is that, because some people defend, you know, the use and the importance of self-deprecation as a, you know, a comedy tool. But for Hannah... Hannah acknowledges that she was the tension. So for someone in that position, the way that they can ease other people's tension is by making fun of themselves, making jokes about themselves. See, we can all laugh about how I'm different and I'm weird and how you guys don't understand me or can't relate to me. So I'm lowering the tension, but in doing that, I'm also putting myself down. So she says that self-deprecation turns into humiliation. Yeah. So the, the, the putting myself uh, beneath everyone else becomes my norm. So it's not just something that's done for comedy. Now it's sort of, I've done it for so long that it's become part of who I am. Hannah says later on um, in the special, you learn from the part of the story you focus on. So if the part of the story you're focusing on in your interaction with other people is how you need to put yourself down so other people can be comfortable around you, Right. Then you're naturally going to see yourself as as worse or shameful or not good enough to be around others. You know, and it's not fair. No. Because, you know, it's somebody putting themselves in a position. And let's just take the customer service uh, part for example. Yeah. For an example. So mm -hmm. Hannah tells the joke about customer service. They mistake her for male. And then do the, hello, sir. Oh, madam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's this, you know, funny thing, like it, embarrassing, but, you know, it's just kind of this awkward moment. Well, really what, what's happening is Hannah is taking 
a step down and, and raising somebody up above them so that they feel better, so that they can feel less awkward. Yes. Because it's now become about them instead of about Hannah or, or for anyone that's in this situation. Like for some reason, it's like the, anybody that's doing this, it's like they're protecting other people for whatever reason. They're putting those other people's needs or other people's tension before their own. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know, because do you think they're feeling like because they're going to get attacked or? Yeah. It, it, in some ways, it's a self-defense mechanism that um, if I can ease your tension with a joke, you can be comfortable enough to not attack me or not make fun of me in a way that I'm not already making fun of myself. So it's it's this really this sort of tension reducer that now we can both laugh about how I'm different from you. Even if as I'm putting myself down, I'm not actually laughing, I'm actually crying on the inside. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a classic thing in therapy is the the patient that laughs when they are clearly about to cry or maybe need to cry. Um, I've definitely had patients like that where it's this sort of like, instead of tears coming out, it's like a... <laughs> and that's not to make fun of them. That's like a very... Huh real thing that happens when we we sort of choke down tears sometimes and and emit that sort of half laughter to to stifle the true emotion of what we need to experience and this is at the heart of what Hannah's talking about well what would you do to go about that if you were seeing somebody and they were clearly doing that in front of you yeah like that exact thing you were just talking about how would you like let's work through that like you don't need yeah. to laugh at yourself that's right like, this is okay for you to feel an emotion. Yeah, so a therapist will very much, uh, I would say in most cases, point that out. You know, I would say something like, you know, I hear you laughing about the fact that your mom died or the fact that you lost your job and you're, you're kind of making light of it, but I get the sense that there's more going on or I get the sense that maybe there's also some pain or some, some anger or some frustration, whatever the other feeling might be, to be able to reflect that back to them to give them the freedom and the space that it's okay. You don't have to reduce the tension for me, the therapist, or for yourself. We can contain it. We can tell this whole story and we'll still be okay at the end. I'm thinking that can take a long time with some people. Yes. Yes. Because it's a, it's a defense mechanism for a reason that, that they've, um, even if it's not effective as Hannah acknowledges, it does be kind of become a default. We had talked about people, especially those with mental health issues, using negative coping mechanisms. And we were talking just about how Hannah has been using that. Like, what are other examples of negative coping mechanisms that people use? Yeah, I don't want to say negative um, necessarily. I'll just say in ineffective or inefficient. Okay. Yeah, because to, to say negative is just to suggest they're bad. And it's not okay. that they're bad. It's just they're not doing the complete job. <laughs> this is why I'm not the therapist. No, it's okay. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> Because because the reality is taking something like uh, Netflix binges or, or emotional eating to a certain extent or video games or um, people can certainly overdo things like exercise. Like there are parts of those coping skills that are effective. Sometimes you do just need a distraction. Sometimes you do just need a snack. Sometimes you do just need a nap or need to go for a run. Yeah. But when those things either become excessive or when they're the only coping skill that you use for, let's say, things like trauma, like Hannah acknowledges that she has experienced a range of really intense trauma. Yeah. And if her only go-to coping skill is to sort of make fun of herself so everyone else is comfortable with the fact that she's experienced these things, that's not enough. 
So it's not that it's a bad coping skill, it's just insufficient. There needs to be more. Um, and whether that's therapy, you know, we can we can talk about all different sorts of therapeutic approaches that could sort of more appropriately meet the needs uh, that are trying to be met with things like Netflix or food or exercise. Um, I should say exercise in general is always good, but obviously like <laughs> anything, it can be overdone um, or over relied upon. There's something else I saw Hannah in Hannah. She's a genius, I think. Like when I watch this, I'm like, she's a straight up genius. Like the way she set this up, like I don't think I've ever seen anything set up and delivered this well. But yeah. she she starts off and she gives you a glimpse of her past comedy stylings. Mm-hmm. And then she sh- slowly unravels this story for you. And, and it's set up from the beginning. And I mean, it's very effective. But what starts peeling out as she's unraveling this, and what I saw, and I may be wrong, but was a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. And as as the story was peeled further and further, it was there was just more and more anger. Yep. I don't know. It, I I guess I'm just wondering, like, how do how do we deal with that level of anger? Like, how does somebody go day day to day? Because she even says, like, I am not going to. It's not my job to put this anger on you like every, the audience. Yeah, and that laughter and anger are sort of not enough as like conduits to connect the the real trauma that people experience. Like yes, we can laugh about it. Yes, we can ang- be angry about it, but neither of those things are enough to really deal with the the truth of the story. Well, yeah, and when someone like Hannah has the most justified reasons to be angry, how do you like how do you sit down and talk with someone in and help them through that. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually talking to uh, one of my clients about this exact thing today, and you can give you can get a sense of how common of an issue this is. And it's because when we think about the sort of emotions that are the easiest for people to express from like a societal standpoint, the the ones that are are sort of easiest. And well, let me put it this way: if I'm angry. No one necessarily is going to, and let's just say I'm angry about, um, I don't know, taxes. No one's going to criticize me for for being weak, right? Uh, and anger is like I'm trying to assert my needs. I'm trying to tell people what's wrong with a problem in society. <laughs> yeah. And anger is, is just societally accepted, and it's its, it's, it's, its own form of communication. Laughter, sure, yeah. laughter, same way, whether it be self-deprecation or otherwise. You know, if you go on Twitter or, or, or Tumblr, you're much more likely to see memes about mental health than you are to see people actually talking about the pain and vulnerability that comes with mental health struggles. Unless your pop's like 101. Unless your pop's like 101. <laughs> because that's that's our whole Twitter feed, which is great. Right. Um, but, right. Well, and and say, that's what I'm saying. Like, there, there are not people in the community that do that. But if, if you search mental health, it'll be like comics or, you know, uh, things like that. It'll be, you know, lighthearted ways. And that's and that's where we're going to talk about this, because pop psych is relevant in this discussion. And that's to say that that these sort of easy entry ways. Wait, into, Ryan. Yeah, go ahead. Save that, because I just wanted to say one thing on your last point. Yeah. Was I just wanted to contend that you were talking about how anger is a very uh, commonly accepted w- uh, form of expression. I, I would just contend that. I, that would depend on the person and the reason. Oh, sure, sure. Like, I would think Hannah Gatsby's anger would, for certain groups, be much less accepted. 
for why she's angry. You know what I mean? Yeah, she does kind of talk about that. Because um, I think what I'm trying to say here is that given the choice between expressing an emotion like anger or a, a, an emotion like pain or fear or, or depression or anxiety, that those emotions are more likely to be signs uh, that are either we perceive ourselves as being weak or vulnerable or that we fear others will perceive us as being weak or vulnerable and, and anger too. I mean, she sort of acknowledged that, you know, when she's seen as this sort of like character of an angry lesbian, that it kind of takes away the message that she's trying to communicate. Absolutely. So you're right in that sense that it anger is not universally acceptable, but that it's, it's maybe more personally acceptable um, or easier personally sure. to frame our emotions in that way. And that's why a lot of times um, anger management becomes an issue is because these, these stuffed emotions build and build and build to the point that the only way it has to come out is through anger or through this really intense expression. So, so we think that pop psych is relevant in this conversation and you were going to tell us why. Well, yeah. Um, Hannah Gatsby talks about how laughter releases tension. And I would say, Mike, one of the reasons we created this show in the way that we did is that we wanted people to be able to talk about and, and hear about and learn about mental health in a, in some ways, in a, a reduced tension environment. Sure. Sometimes it gets, it gets tense. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. we, we've these, had some the tense The middle episodes. part of the show is usually more tense. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good thing. We, we need to be able to hold on to this tension. But we also, I think, would both acknowledge that we try to create lightness. We try to talk about things or, or even make light of things in a way that makes this information accessible for people. Yes. Um, and in so doing, <laughs> we are trying to release tension. We're trying to, even though these are very serious issues bring it back to the sort of uh, human experience, which sometimes is ridiculous and, and weird and funny and light. And that right. needs to be important in this discussion too. Right. And, and I can attest for the fact that sometimes when you're taking yourself way too seriously, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from anyone because things are very serious, but you can get trapped in these little moments of just taking things so seriously. And and if and if you just lighten things up, it just it helps a little bit. Yeah, and that's why I and that's why I think some of the backlash to Nanette has come from, um, let's say, even comedians who sort of defend the use of, let's say, self-deprecation or defend the use of comedy as being, let's say, an important part of telling the story. That, but that's not what this is. That's not what that's about. Like she, she's not telling other comedians that they can't do that comedy. No, you're right. She's, say, you're right. <laughs> she's saying this doesn't work for me because yes. it's hurting my life. Yep. Absolutely it's right. hurting me. Yep. This isn't about you other comedians. Right. <laughs> okay. So that, sorry, that's getting, that's, that's getting me. No, you're right. Uh, right. But, but like when you, when you, if you do Google, Google search for Nanette, there are, there's a lot of, um, not necessarily criticism, but like defense of comedy from, highfalutin comedians <laughs> oh my gosh yeah but you know it's just this is not i mean speaking to the comedians this is not this is her show right yes yes i don't know if she's gonna do another stand-up or not 
like another big special or anything like that. But this was her things that she needed to say. I don't know. This was not about anybody but Hannah. She's saying that she needs to quit comedy, not that anybody else needs to stop doing what they're doing. Right. She's saying that self-deprecating humor isn't good for her. Yep. So I just don't get that. So. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that with any uh, story, right, people are going to make it about themselves. And, And I think that's why Hannah's talking about this stuff is that that's why she's faced all this backlash is that even though she's telling her own story, still people are still making it about themselves. So oh, it's this man. this thing where even when we're vulnerable, people can't just empathize. They have to make a, a bigger point about what you're saying, even if it is just your story. So it's, mean, it's, they- it's, it's, it's tough because I, when I advocate for people to be open with their emotional experience, whether that be their trauma or uh, their depression, or their anxiety. I'm asking them to be vulnerable, knowing that not everyone that they are open with is going to support them in a way that is is useful. Yeah. So it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask. And that's why it's it's a brave thing that Hannah Gadsby did. And I think that's why people are so connected to it, because it is so vulnerable and raw and, and relatable, um, whether you're a member of the LGBTQ community or not. And I agree. And I just, I just want to, you know, hats off to her because I thought, I mean, I literally think she's like a genius. Like, uh, you can look at this in so many different ways. Well, yeah, we haven't even talked about the, all the art history references. I mean, I think that <laughs> the, the, the stories that she uses to give examples to, you know, why, um, let's say creatives don't need to be unstable and mentally ill that they should take care of themselves and that taking care of themselves is actually a lot of times what leads to their best work is such an important message. Oh yeah. That one struck me really hard because oftentimes creatives out there that are seen as these, you know, crazy artistic geniuses and we got to love, I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain or even uh, Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd. Mm Mm-hmm. Both of those people could have done so much more if, you know, if things hadn't happened the way they happened and if they had taken care of themselves. So I just don't agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. And she talks about her own uh, decisions to be on medication and and references uh, Van Gogh's um, experiences with Mm self-care and and support that he had that that enabled him to uh, create in the way that he did. Well, I just don't understand why people have to say have to tell themselves I'm only creative, you know, if I'm have this issue or something going on like that, or, or even drugs or anything like that, but issue, you know, mental disorders line up there too. Uh, I'm only creative if, you know, I don't take my meds or that kind of thing. And it's like, you're still creative without the part of you that's hurting. So yeah, this is a good point that I wanted to get to. And that's this issue of identity, right? Hannah, I think rightly so, wants to make her identity about more than her trauma, more than her self-deprecation, even more than being a lesbian. She wants to make it about her human condition. And I think this is something that people experience in, in the therapeutic process as well. They want to be more than their diagnosis of depression. They want to be more than their trauma. Um, they want to be more than their anxiety. Yeah, for sure. And and in in therapy, it's about you know, helping that person create an identity that is more than those things that they can incorporate, that this is their part of their experience, but does not have to define them. Mm. 
And it doesn't have to be something that to be ashamed of either, that it can just be something that that sort of allows them to have their own unique, let's say, perspective or, or something that they can grow from and then be able to share with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that. <laughs> I always got to find one. Because <laughs> shame is a toxic thing, Mike. I mean, you know, whether it's right. because of identity, as, as Hannah shares about being in the LGBTQ community, or just being someone with depression. You know, I was driving today thinking about talking about this and, you know, the, the, the cancer thing was present for me for some reason. I don't know. But like, if you talk to someone who's uh, in treatment for cancer, they identify as being a cancer patient. Oh, yeah. Is, is often how they're talked about. They've moved their identity over yeah, from, it's you so know, I'm not Steve anymore. I'm, I'm a yeah. cancer patient. And then even even if even if the treatment is successful, it's I'm a cancer survivor. Right. You know, and it's and I look, that's great, obviously. But our, our humanity gets taken away when we're reduced to those basic identities. So would you say and this is, you know, kind of flying far here, but would you say that's something to be careful of in any instance? I mean, yes, let's say, OK, I'm Ryan, but are you the therapist or or do you? Keep that separate from your identity as Ryan. I mean, so any of these things can be a part of me, right? right. Um, but it's it's dangerous to make any of them the whole part or even the most important part. I would say there can be most important parts of ourselves, um, the things that we value the most about ourselves. Right. But but to make any part of that identity the only thing, or or as as Hannah Gadsby says. We learn from the parts of the story we focus on. If you're yeah. focusing on the fact that you're a cancer patient or the fact that you're in treatment for depression or the fact that you're a lesbian, none of those things are things to be ashamed of, but also none of those things are the whole part of you. Yeah. And and that's one of the places where she gets her anger from. Absolutely. Is the fact that everyone around her is pushing her under the water and drowning her in being a lesbian. Yeah, in and, a lesbian, and she, including yeah. lesbians. Uh, yeah, and she you know, and she focuses on the the fact that men and women have more in common than they do have. Yeah, uh, things to to make fun of about how they're different. It's this thing where you know, uh, yeah, even for me, um, I need to not get too bogged down in being a therapist because if I come home and <laughs> interact with my wife or my daughter as therapist Ryan, <laughs> like that's not a good thing. <laughs> I can't. Oh my god. And and vice versa. You know, I I can't. You can't always be one thing. So yeah. we have to give ourselves permission to to be all of the things that are important to us. I've been really trying hard not to be podcaster Mike. Good. 100% of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So we have, obviously, we're seeing a lot of, you know, identity things that she's angry about, uh, some shame happening, a, a lot of anger going on. So if Hannah was to come into your office and sit down and it's Hannah and Ryan, what does like the work look like with Hannah? I'm not saying she's broken by any means. I'm just saying. No, no, no. And in fact, she's, the work has already obviously started for her. Right. Yeah. She's definitely like thinking about She's not about already this. in therapy. Yeah, for sure. Right. But how, like, what, what is, what does a session look like? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're trying to prioritize, you know, what her needs are, whether that's uh, self-acceptance, self-love. And we're the first step is always kind of let's identify these sort of negative thoughts that come up for her, whether that's her tendency to self-deprecate for others, how or how often or when she thinks about her traumatic experiences, if that's the sort of focus for treatment. 
and then really just trying to break down that process. You know, if we're coming from a, a CBT perspective, we're looking at her thoughts, feelings, and actions. So how often does she think about these, let's say, traumatic events, or how often does she think in these sort of self-hating uh, fashions? How often does her self-talk look like that? When those thoughts happen, how does she feel? Does she feel shame? Does she feel self-hatred? Does she feel depressed? Does she feel anxious about what to do or how to handle that? And then when we identify those emotions, now we say, okay, when you feel these emotions, what do you do? How do you act? And how do those actions help meet the needs of those emotions? So when we establish that framework, now we can start sort of taking steps toward, okay, if this is the way you feel about yourself, how do you want to feel about yourself? And yeah. how can you act in a way that honors that way that you want to feel about yourself? You know, maybe it's quitting comedy to find something that's more effective and efficient in helping you cope with the trauma that you've, the trauma that you've experienced. Which, by the way, Hannah Gatsby, if that is the way that you can act like yourself and you took that step. I don't know you, but I know that was probably the hardest thing in the world. And I mean, that's awesome that you would do that for yourself. More power to you. Yeah. Okay. We have to take a break and uh, yeah, we got to take a break. So we'll be right back. You are listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health and pop culture through two perspectives, a therapist and an advocate. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television, for better or worse. All right, Mike. For our second half today, I wanted to honor the spirit of Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, as she talks about a lot of her formative experiences and how they sort of pointed her in a certain direction. And sure. and in shaped honoring... Her. Shaped her, absolutely. And then also honoring that... Molded in, her yeah. <laughs> out of out that, of clay. Sure. And it and as we molded. mentioned here at Pop Psych 101, you know, our, the, the spirit of um, Nanette is carried strong and that we often go for lightness. But yes. um, I in think... the spirit of lightness, can I do the entire thing in the voice of... Baby? No, see, now you're throwing it all off. I'm trying <laughs> okay. to be... Uh, the, don't go all deleted scenes on me. Okay, sorry. Okay, go back. Um, <laughs> so... You know, I, I want to honor the spirit of what she's saying in that it's not enough to be light um, or to, to make light of things, that you also kind of have to honor the whole story. So um, I thought we could share some stories about ourselves. They can be light. They don't have to. Um, mine are funny, um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> funny to me. But well, if you, How many do you have? I have, uh, let's say I have two, but they're, okay. they're very short. They're both and short stories. And they're both stories. funny. I mean, they're funny, embarrassing. Like they're probably funny, sad. Okay, well, I was gonna they're say not, because, like, like funny, how, laugh out loud. How would I come out with one that wasn't a funny one? You can do whatever you want. Okay, we're we're just well. So let me. I'll show you my theme. I'm gonna okay. show you my work, and then you can you can do whatever you want. I'm I'm right. I'm because okay. So so part of the reason I wanted to do this is because you know Hannah is telling the story of how she got to where she was. So I kind of want to do the same thing, and I want to share how I got to where I am, not as a therapist necessarily, um, but actually kind of as a podcast person, as an improv person, because those are parts of my identity that I am, am I allowed to say, proud of, um, I guess. You know, people ask me or say things to me like, oh, I, I can't believe you do improv, or I can't believe that you do a show, like, that's crazy, I can never do that. And... I think that there was an alternate universe in which it was also crazy for me 
and I'd never do any of these things. And that's because of some of these formative experiences that I had. So um, the first story is I was in uh, grade school, probably between like third and fifth grades. What's that, like eight to ten? I've had a couple concussions, so I don't actually know what age I was. But um, I went to Catholic school. So we had a, a maybe it was All Saints Day. Let's say it was All Saints Day. And we had to dress up as one of our favorite saints. Oh. Um, or you know what? It, okay. And, and this is why it's a muddled thing because it was so embarrassing. I've blocked out the details. I was either dressing up as a saint or like one of our I favorite w- characters from history. No, let's call it saints. Okay. Let's fair. Let's that's fine. stick with saints. Um, <laughs> so we had, saint a, we had to dress up. So no, I think I chose, um, um, oh man, my Irish saint relatives are going to kill me. No, who's the one that, that, uh, ushered the, saint s- ushered the snakes from, from Ireland? Saint. Oh gosh. Uh, Patrick, of course. St. Patrick. Okay. St. Patrick. St. Patrick's day. Oh my God. That's terrible. I just went to, well, I just went to St. Patrick's day parade. So I had this like green shawl that I was going to wear over a, a white dress shirt. And then when I went into the bathroom to change before the parade or, or, or event or whatever we're going to have, I realized that I forgot the white dress shirt. I only had the green shawl and it was like a very ornate, pretty like green thing, but I didn't have anything to wear underneath it. So I was left with this choice of, do I just wear the green shawl and just basically <laughs> not have a shirt on underneath or do I wear it with whatever a shirt I had on at school that day? <laughs> the and, decisions, Ryan. And Mike, I look, I, I will never forget I looked at myself in the mirror with just this green shawl on, and I said, you know what? I I think I look good. I think I look like St. Patrick. I'm looking good right now. So I walked back into my, let's say, fifth grade classroom Yeah. in pants and just a green shawl, a very ornate, like, Catholic priest-looking green shawl, (laughs) and otherwise no shirt on. Like, it was very clear (laughs) that I did not have a shirt on. And You felt great, too. Uh, well, I felt great walking in, but immediately, like within seconds of me walking in, all you hear is laughter. Yeah. And the, I mean, I'm, laughing. Not, I'm not laughing with them, Mike. <laughs> I, I didn't understand what was so funny. I was dressed up as St. Patrick or whoever. And I, look, I was a skinny kid. Um, I had skinny little stick arms and a skinny little stick body. Um, my last name is Engelstad. I had the affectionate nickname of Engelstick from time to time. Okay. And and those were the things that were being said. Like, what are you wearing? Where's your shirt? Um, oh, no. So, so I, I tell this story because I felt really good about presenting myself in this. And I didn't think I was be funny. I thought it was, oh, like, this is cool. This is, uh, I'm a character. I am putting on a performance, a show, I'm, I'm doing this thing, and I was laughed at and ridiculed in a way that I did not expect. So that's story number one, So just and keep that in mind. Story two, probably around the same age, maybe even a little bit younger, another one of my loves is uh, basketball. So I was in a summer basketball camp, and I was definitely like, whatever the grades were, three to five or three to seven, I was definitely one of the younger ones. So I'll never forget one day that um, we were watching like uh, these cool high schoolers doing a dribble demonstration and they had all these cool like dribbling tricks where if you play basketball, you know, like a figure eight or, you know, yeah, all that stuff. But like, but really cool. They were cool kids. And then after the demonstration, all the campers were in a circle 
and the uh, cool high school kids would throw a basketball to someone in the circle, and you had to come into the middle of the circle and show something that you learned. I already know where this is going. Well, well, sure, you might, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. <laughs> so I was sitting right next to one of my best friends. The ball was thrown to him, Mike. I'm not going to say his name. He knows who he is. The okay. ball was thrown to him. Does he, he listen ducks, to the show? He, I don't think so. He ducks out of the way. He ducks out of the way of the ball. So the ball leaves the circle. And Mike, I, I'm a nice, uh, uh, polite person. I went to go get the ball for him. Oh, you missed the ball. I'm going to go get it for you. I went oh. outside the circle. I got the ball. I went to try to hand it to him since it was clearly thrown to him. And he just does the lean back thing. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not my ball. So now I have the ball. Obviously, it's my now responsibility to go into the circle. So I go into the circle. Oh, and Mike, no. I, I don't know where this idea came from the recesses <laughs> of my brain. I, I didn't do a figure eight or a special between the legs thing. I, oh, no. uh, I stood in the middle of the circle. I, Wait, I had to tell everyone real quick. Yeah. Okay. I can. We're on Skype. I can yeah. see his face right now. It's getting uh -huh. red. Okay, oh, keep going. I, I, I'm not the least bit surprised. I stood in the middle of the circle. Keep in mind, young, one of the youngest kids there, no question about it. I threw the ball as high as I could up in the air. I tried to do two backwards rolling somersaults, clapped <laughs> a certain number of times, and then catch the ball. That has nothing to do with dribbling. It seemed like a good idea at the time, like this cool thing I was going to do that I had never done before. Um, but I was going to do a trick. I was going to perform, right? I was going to do a cool thing again, like just like St. Patrick. I was going to do a cool thing. I obviously did not catch the ball. I don't even think I finished the somersault before the ball landed. But immediately, all I hear is laughter. Oh. And they're not laughing with me, Mike. They're laughing at me. No, they were. Because I had done something. I'd done something silly, funny, weird. I'm retrospectively laughing at you, too. Sure. And, you know, these experiences, I was, I was little, I was a kid. The lesson that I learned was, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about. It sounds dumb, but it's like, it's, these are things I've had to overcome to become an improviser and become a podcaster is when I try to do something cool, when I try to do something that's like creative or thing or different, I'm going to be laughed at and not for the reasons that I want to be. So for years, for years, I was interested in uh, stand-up and, and clubs and being in school plays, and I never tried out, not a single time, because I had had these formative experiences of even if I try and even if I think I'm going to be good at a thing, it's going to go terribly. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm shaking as I talk about this, but, but it's true. And I had to unlearn all those lessons that I learned as a kid and, and realize that I could fail and that it would be okay, and that there would yeah. be another opportunity, and I could do it again. You're still breathing, you know? And I'm still breathing, and now, I mean, now look at me. I don't, I'm not anything special, but I it's have easier. a podcast, and I yeah. do improv all over the East Coast, and... Um, you have a great family, and... I do. Nothing, nothing yeah. of that has changed, despite these <laughs> quote-unquote failures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to point out real quick is, when, when you're thinking about stuff like that, and I've, and I've told you, I've done stuff and put myself out there forever, you know, since I was 13 years old. And I told you before we started recording that, like, I'd never get embarrassed. And you're like, I don't doubt that about you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do get embarrassed. But 
about this kind of stuff. I never really have, but that's, I always have this weird thing where I am keenly aware that like, for example, now I have my wife and I have my two kids at my home and no matter what happens with our podcast or with the videos I'm making or back then with my band, it's like my family's still here at the end of the day, yeah, you yeah. know, and, mm -hmm. and who is judging me that I care about? It's them. And they don't care whether I'm good or bad at something. Right. So that's my advice to you. <laughs> Thank you. I know I, I, and obviously, and I know I, you've learned you've learned all that already for sure. That the people that are important are going to be there, whether you're laughed at or laughed with. So right. yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got my story real quick, and then we got to do our ratings. Go ahead. And my story is not nearly as poignant because <laughs> I thought we were just telling embarrassing stories. Uh, well, my stories were embarrassing, <laughs> but they did not. Mine does not lead me to anywhere. Um, growing in any sort of way. That's okay. R relieve the tension for us, Mike. <laughs> All right. When I was in fourth grade, now I was I was homeschooled much of, if not most, of elementary school. But in fourth grade, we went. I got public schooled for a few of the months, or maybe half the year. But we did get pulled out at some point. So I think I was like homeschooled all of third grade, and then we were like they tried it for fourth grade, and then they pulled us out. And it was like maybe my last week or maybe even my last day, but it was very close to being gone. And I had a crush on Amy Hoskins. Oh, does Amy listen to the show? I I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listens to the show. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, Amy Hoskins, man. And Amy Hoskins. And we had the square tables and she sat there right next, basically right next to me, like diagonal from me. And I sat here and. I remember this. It must have been like my last day or close to because they were all doing these cards with like my, they would write these cards and say goodbye to me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was, it was that day they were doing the cards and everyone was there. And for some reason, you know, they were like drawing them in front of me, like in class. And it, it was very nice. And like, it was, I felt great about it. Of course. And like my mom had them at home and everything. And I remember reading Amy's afterwards a lot. And uh, anyway, Amy was talking to me, which didn't happen all the time. And I sneezed into my hand. And it was the biggest goober you've ever seen in your oh, life. Oh, no. <laughs> A full hand wad. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. I was only like 10 years old. So I just held my hand over my mouth. And then just got up and like sprinted like, no, I didn't ask the teacher for permission. I just ran to the bathroom. It was very embarrassing. That's that's it. <laughs> that's my story. Well, I, for a fourth grader, that is a most like top 10 embarrassing moment. So it was, it was horrible. I'm glad you escaped that situation. Yep. I didn't learn anything from it. Except for and like, then, and you took that goober and and you <laughs> and despite that adversity, here you are. That's right. Despite the <laughs> adversity of the goober. <laughs> all right. All right. We have to do our ratings. If you have not watched the show or good watched, if you have not listened to the show before every week, we do a rating system. Ryan rates on the scale of one to five somethings on the accuracy of the portrayal. I guess we can't. What? <laughs> He's going to just do rate it on one to five. I rate on the scale of one to five somethings on how much I like something. Ryan, what do you got? 
All right, Mike. So this week I'm doing out of five sunflowers because I love the uh, the story that Hannah Gadsby tells about how we have the yellow sunflowers because um, is it Van Gogh um, yes. self medicated and had the support and the the medication that he took helped him see yellow brighter. So I just love Cubism. that. Cubism. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, so I love that. So you know. We, we've we done true life stories, true life accounts uh, before on the show. And this is, and, and as a result, I'm giving it a five out of five. I mean, this is Hannah's story. It would be impossible for me to tell, tell the listeners that this is anything but accurate because it is Hannah's story. So it's five out of five on accuracy of Hannah's story. But I also want to point out that this is five out of five in terms of the depths of what trauma can do to a person whether that be the trauma of uh, abuse, sexual abuse, um, or honestly just the trauma that comes sometimes from not being accepted uh, as the person that you are. So uh, I give a lot of kudos to Hannah Gadsby for this incredible performance, and I hope everyone gives it multiple viewings. Because honestly, I don't know if this is true for you, Mike, but um, I actually had to watch this multiple times because the first time I watched it, I just felt like a normal stand-up. And then all of a sudden, I, I realized that she was literally screaming out for for proper attention and yeah it just blew me away i had to watch it again and i was like oh my god i to your point earlier like i can't believe this sort of layers of story that she told here so five out of five sunflowers no question for me yeah i watched it three times and so nor i used to do one out of five stars but i'm going to start adopting the something system too and and i'm going to do one out of five cubisms because she said it and I loved it. <laughs> so also, I want to, I've I've had some feedback on my ratings always being fives. And that I'm not objective about my rating system. Let me tell you people, we cover a lot of awesome films and TV shows and things. What do you want me to say? This is a five. <laughs> Uh, to be fair to the to to Mike, um, you did rate Frozen of all things like a three. So oh. <laughs> so good job, Mike. Yeah, well, Frozen, Frozen Schmozen. Okay, so Hannah Gadsby. I mean, you know, I hope she listens to this one, and I just want to say thank you because that was amazing. Um, I'm sorry you had to quit comedy, and I hope it's the best thing for you. But it was. I think you're a genius. I think you're a genius. Like you could go through and this is a multi-layered, like front to back, up and down. Very, very, it's a cube. It's cubism. It's a five out of five cubisms. All right, guys, we do have to get out of here for the day. Thank you so much to Kevin McLeod for doing the music that we use every week. You can find Kevin and his royalty-free music at incompetech.com. Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so this was our first stand-up special covered on Pop Psych 101, and what an incredible example of vulnerability and honesty it was in Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. There are a few important takeaways I want to leave you with. As Hannah mentioned, you learn from the part of the story you focus on. It can be difficult when dealing with trauma, depression, or anxiety to focus on anything else, but it is important, whether you are in therapy or not, to not let yourself be defined by the worst parts of your story. Therapy can help you enjoy the things you used to love and can help you accept and even love yourself despite your traumatic experiences. 
shame is another incredibly difficult emotion to overcome, and it can often prevent people from getting the support they need to recover in a healthy way. Even though it is difficult, taking the first step to open up to someone about your story will gradually help reduce the shame associated with your experiences. Group therapy can also be a great support when shame is a problem. Finally, I have to emphasize Hannah's point about creatives not needing to be mentally ill to create their art. As Hannah says, mental illness is not a ticket to genius. And it's often the fact that creatives take care of themselves, which allows them to do their best work. A lesson we can all benefit from. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is not only a podcast, but also a radio show. You can find us on the real-life radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.